The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. A Pharisee invited Jesus to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Now there was a sinful woman in the city who learned that he was at table in the house of the Pharisee. Bringing an alabaster flask of ointment, she stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to bathe his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and anointed them with the ointment. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus said to him in reply, Simon, I have something to say to you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people were in debt to a certain creditor. One owed 500 days' wages, and the other owed 50. Since they were unable to repay the debt, he forgave it for both. Which of them will love him more? Simon said in reply, The one, I suppose, whose larger debt was forgiven. He said to him, You have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? When I entered your house, you did not give me water for my feet, but she has bathed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but she has not ceased kissing my feet since the time I entered. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. So I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, because she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. He said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The the others at table said to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? But he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Afterward, he journeyed from one town and village to another, preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Accompanying him were the twelve and some women who were cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanna, the wife of Herod Stuart Chusa. Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. The Gospel of the Lord. The other day I was listening to a podcast on being healthy, and the particular topic uh, the podcaster was talking about, uh, the interesting thing that he had found in scientific evidence of ways in which we could have health like that of our ancient ancestors. And one of the ways that he pointed out was to subject himself, uh, or to subject oneself in particular, uh, to heat and to cold with some regularity. He said so often our, our temptation is that we keep our temperature at our, the, 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 the setting that we like. We put it at 70 degrees or whatever. And then we keep at that temperature in our home, in our car, at work, everywhere we go. When we, and we get comfortable in that place. And he said you would think it would be healthier for us to have a, a continuous, a steady, a steady pace. And yet he says statistics show otherwise is that the scientific research indicated those who subjected themselves regularly to, uh, to extreme heat, to extreme cold, actually became healthier because their body was having to adapt and to keep changing and growing and working with things as they were coming at it. 
And so he, su- he suggested that you take cold showers uh, from time to time and that you go outside and, uh, you know, enjoy the heat of the day or to go sit in a sauna. In Louisiana, you can do both at the same time. We call that simply just going outside. But he said to, to allow yourself to experience both of those extremes. And again, it seems uncomfortable at the time, and yet the discomfort is the thing that makes one healthy. In the scriptures today, St. Paul is writing to the Galatians, and he's addressing a situation that's a bit uncomfortable for the community. You see, in the, in the, in the communities, there were, there were generally two groups of Christians. There were the Jews who, realizing that Jesus was the Christ, gave up and, and kind of left much of their Jewish faith behind and, and, and followed after the Lord uh, to become Christians, not just Jews, but Jewish Christians. And there were those who were not Jewish, uh, you know, the people of, of various other, of other communities and other, other countries who, hearing the word of God, became Christians themselves. And so there was a, 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 lot of, a lot of struggle between the two communities because there were some in the Jewish community who were looking at those who were not Jewish but coming into Christian faith saying that if you're becoming a Christian, you have to live the Jewish laws. You have to do the works of the law like we've done. You have to be circumcised. You have to, as in other parts of the scriptures, they talk about there are certain ways to, to wash your hands and wash your feet and to wash bowls and kettles and beds and walls and all these sorts of things. There was a, there was a, a particular law, there was a particular way that all of those things had to be done according to the Jewish rules. And so there were many who were saying, in order to be Christians, we have to be Jews. We have to do both. And so there was a question, is it true? Do we have to follow the works of the law? And St. Paul's writing a response to that, and he says very clearly, no. No, we don't. He says, because if we were justified by works of the law, why would Jesus have to come and die? If we could get to heaven simply by doing the things that had already been set out for us, Jesus died in vain. It was foolishness that Jesus died. Stupidity on the part of God. And yet, he says... It's not the truth, because we're not justified by faith. We're not justified by works of the law. We're not justified by doing the the Old Testament law things. He said we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ, following after Christ. It's in Christ that we find our salvation, not in simply checking off the works of the law. Something that I'm often asked that is kind of an uncomfortable thing but which i like to respond a bit today, citing some of the scriptures, is another question that I've been asked. Father, why do we have to go to a priest for confession? Why do I have to confess my sins to a priest? Why can't I just go straight to Jesus? Why do I need you to, to be there in that? It's a question I've been asked more times than I can count. If I had a dollar for every time, as they say, right? But part of the Part of the, the response certainly that we can give is that which we find in the scriptures. The fact that, that Christ gave the authority to the disciples. That he went and after being raised up from the dead, he went to the disciples first and foremost. And the first thing he did was to breathe upon them the gift of the Holy Spirit and say, Whose sins you for, forgive are forgiven, whose sins you retain are retained. Point number one. <laughs> and he gave them the Spirit to go forth and to do it. And we see that they went. We can look in the Acts of the Apostles and see how the disciples went out and they continued that ministry of forgiveness and reconciliation which Christ came to begin 
the reconciliation of all of humanity with God the Father and with himself and the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples go out and, and continue it. They do the same. They go forth and they forgive sins. Their ministry is also marked much like that of Jesus with many miraculous works. We can see all through the Acts of the Apostles phenomenal things that took place in which the disciples going out, they, they raised the dead. They, 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 the deaf were able to hear. The, the blind were able to see. All these things that Jesus did, the disciples did as well as manifestations of their power given to them by Christ. As manifestations of the power given by Christ. One of the things that we often forget is how much our sin affects others. Our sin affects others uh, in, the, in, the, in the body of Christ in the church. If one member suffers, all members suffer with it. And if one member sins, all members are joined to that sin. That's what St. Paul says in the scriptures. Our sin affects others. It's not just me and Jesus that my relationship is affected, but me and Jesus and every single one of you. <laughs> That's what sin does. It changes us. On a, on a spiritual level, it blocks me off from being able to minister and to serve others as I'm called to be, and does the same for you in your particular, in your particular vocation and the ways that the Lord works to work through you each day. But also it's to know that 99.9995% of the time, the reason I'm sinning is because of another person. Because somebody else did something or failed to do something that got under my skin. And there my heart goes, doing all those things that it's not supposed to do, that Jesus thankfully can forgive. It's on account of that. We see the, the emphasis upon community that's there. And the priest is there in confession to be not only a, a person to act on behalf of God, but also to act on behalf of the community, the church. The same thing in Mass. The priest comes and he offers on behalf of the community, we offer the Eucharist to God the Father. So at the end, we, we lift it up to God the Father. But also it's God the Father who works to give to the priest, to the community. The priest works both ways. And the same in the sacrament, both on behalf of the Lord as well as on behalf of the community, the church, to bestow forgiveness of sins. St. James and some of the other epistles speak very clearly and explicitly about the need for us to confess our sins to one another. They were writing to brother bishops, uh, and so it was an encouragement in that continued ministry of seeking reconciliation with one another. But the thing that convinces me, that has always convinced me, is the fact that Jesus did it. The fact that Jesus set it up that way, basically. And in my mind, a lot of times I can, I can think that I know better than Jesus, and a lot of times I act like I know better than Jesus. But when it comes to this, if Jesus set it up, if Jesus gave the disciples this gift to go forth and to, and to, to forgive sins for the world... Who am I to try to make a better way? That's what it comes down in my heart. It's me and Jesus. All throughout the history of the church, both in the 2,000 years we've existed, as well as before in the Old Testament times, the Jewish faith, there was a great reality, a reminder of God knowing us and God giving those things which we need most for ourselves. Scriptures remind us that, that God is the one who knit us together in our mother's wombs, right? He's the one who knows every one of our needs, even before we have to say them, they're already there, and he's already waiting to provide for us. And so the Lord knows what it is that we need, and he knows that we are not angels. 
We're not pure spirits like angels. We're humans. We have a body. And because we have a body, that means we need to experience bodily things. We need to touch, to hear, to taste, to see. We need these things, and Christ honors that. And the first reading we heard from, uh, from Nathan, who is a prophet, going forth to assure King David that he's been forgiven of his sins. And it's interesting because, because Nathan is, is a, again, he's a prophet by God. The prophets weren't just simply people who were good preachers. The prophets were ones who were chosen by God and they were anointed by someone, anointed with oil as a sign of their anointing by God, being, being consecrated to the Lord because they speak on behalf of God. When we hear the prophets, most of what the prophets say when they're engaging in other people is it's, it always begins, thus says the Lord, dot, 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 right? They're speaking on behalf of God. God is saying to you, whether an individual or a community, this, infallibly, in a sense, <laughs> the voice piece of God. And he does that for David today. Thus says the Lord, your sins have been forgiven you. You've been cleansed of your guilt. Certainly David rejoices to hear those words, and his heart is lifted up. The priests of the Old Testament as well were anointed. They anointed with oil once more, again a sign of consecration. And they too were physical reminders of God's voice. Of how whenever one had to be cleansed from ritual impurity, when you, when you incurred some, some, when you were unclean for some particular reason, whether disease or having touched blood or having touched a, a dead body, that doesn't sound as weird. That sounds weird to us today, but, uh, you know, whatever. Anyways, sorry. Dead bodies kind of threw me off. Um, but whenever you, whenever you do one of those things, you became ritually unclean, and you had to go to the priest, and they would pray over you, and they would, a lot of times they would wash you with water as a sign of cleansing, these kinds of things. And Jesus affirms that. Remember the ten lepers that come to him. And the ten lepers, and what does Jesus say? Go show yourself to the priests. He affirms it. You need this. Go. And so the Lord sends them himself. So too, we see over and over and over, again, partly today in the gospel, of how the Lord first says, your sins are forgiven you. But there's always the trouble of heart. Everyone's always, it ruffles everybody's feathers when the Lord says, your sins are forgiven you. Because every time, without fail, immediately the response of everyone around them was like, who is he to forgive sins? Who but God alone can forgive sins? There's always a, a little bit of an uproar. But it's the Lord who says it, and he says it. And then oftentimes, right after, he does something physical to show that he has the power and the authority. Think of other examples. The, the, the paraplegic who's, who's brought in from the roof, who can't get there himself. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And everyone, of course, gets in an uproar. Who but God can forgive sins? And he says, okay, well, that's not good enough. Rise and walk. And he does. <laughs> At which point everyone else goes, Oh. Right? They see that he has the power. And it's not for himself that he does these things. It's for us. When he's at the tomb of Lazarus and some of the other, other occasions, he says, when he's praying to the Father, Father, I'm saying this aloud, not because I need it or because you need it, but because they need it. Those who are here need to hear this. Those who are here need to hear this word because they're human. They need to hear, to feel, to touch, to taste, to see. 
And so we honor that and we give them that gift. And that's what the Lord does for us. The same thing in reconciliation. He comes to us to forgive us, to reach out, to pray over us, to extend a hand of mercy over us, and to say, I absolve you from your sin. It's uncomfortable. And yet it's been said to me a thousand times, why do I have to confess my sins to a priest? And it got me thinking. I was praying with that and praying with the the scriptures. And it helped me to clarify exactly what happens in my heart when I hear that question. Because there's always a bit of a sting when I hear that question from somebody. And the second reading helped me to clarify it today. If we don't need a priest to forgive our sins, what am I doing here? Myself, personally. Why am I here? Why have I given up 12 years already to the Lord? Why have I consecrated the rest of my life? Why have I given up a wife and children, a home of my own, all of these things? I still got the cats, thankfully, but... (laughs) Why have I given up all of these things for the Lord if there's another way? An easier way, in fact. You're not restricted by a time. You're not restricted by 3 to 4 o'clock on Saturday or something, right? If there's a better way, if there's an easier way, I'm useless. And my life laid down is in vain. Just like Jesus, if the law is okay. But it's not the case. The Lord Jesus, when he came among us, he came to give us life and to give us love and to bring us into the heart of the Father. To reconcile us. There's only one thing that stands between us and heaven, and it's sin. And that's what Jesus came to kill. To kill sin, to crush it on the cross. And to give a ministry to the church that it might be cleansed over and over and over. That we might gain eternal life. We're not saved by the law. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And we're not cleansed from our sins simply by just saying it any time as we feel the need We're saved by the church because it's how Jesus made it. Through the church, through his disciples, through anointed ones who have the particular ministry to go forth and to be the voice piece of God that says, I love you and I forgive you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Rejoice in the Lord whose mercy endures forever. That's the call of the priest. To lay down his life every single day for one and only mission. To forgive sin. To get you to heaven. Is it uncomfortable? Absolutely. You know that. I can't even... There have been times where I've gone gone to a different priest intentionally rather than going to the one who was most convenient to me. Just so I didn't have to see the guy and say the same thing that I said last week and have him wonder, what in the heck is this priest doing? As a priest, I've done that. I get it. (laughs) It's uncomfortable, but we're created body and soul. And if discomfort in our body brings health, would not the same apply to our soul? It would seem easy if it was comfortable that that would be the thing that would bring us health, that that would make it easy for us. And yet the Lord invites us to be a little bit uncomfortable, to embrace the discomfort 
Because in doing so, we find true health in the Spirit. We find health and healing. We find forgiveness and reconciliation. We find peace. And we find eternal life. 